Back to the Bins proudly presents I've got a few things to say about Superman. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. My name is Scott Gardner and if you've been listening, if you listened to the first couple of episodes, then welcome back. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you very much for downloading. I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. As always, folks, you can drop emails to this show at backtothebins at gmail.com and please do as the... Email bin is sadly empty at the moment, and I like email. I have been receiving a lot of feedback through Facebook and such, but I like good old-fashioned emails that I can uh, dig up and read on the show. So uh, please get writing. Fill that email box up. First of all, before I get started with the episode proper, I want to issue a, a little apology. I'm so sorry. I did not intend after a mere two episodes to take any sort of hiatus or any sort of break but uh just to pull back the curtain briefly here uh at work i suddenly got the call that uh, a bid that i put in for a while back uh for a different position uh became available and was i interested and (laughs) you bet your buttons i was interested so I went ahead and signed up for that. So that's what I've been busy with the past couple of weeks. I have been training in a brand new position, and I just completed training a couple of days ago, and I'm really happy where I'm at. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I've been. I really apologize. I did not see that coming when I started up this show. But uh, now that that's out of the way, hopefully I'll be able to maintain some sort of regular schedule. What is the regular schedule of the show? Honestly, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of intended it to uh, be a weekly show. I really want to try to stick to that. We'll see. Uh, that actually segues into something I wanted to talk to you, the listeners, about, which was... Um, what do you want the show to be? Do you want this to be a regular weekly show? Or since this kind of spins out of Back to the Bins, would you like me to try to still do more uh, Back to the Bins stuff? Uh, you know, traditional Back to the Bins. Would you like me to st- you know stick with the Superman stuff? Here's kind of what I'm thinking about, guys. I'm kind of thinking about, you know, of course I've got this itch to talk about Superman. This has been going on for quite a while. So I want to do that on a regular basis. And originally, when I started this, I thought I would also I would kind of just jump all over the place and everywhere in Superman's own history and timeline, uh, including say Superboy stories because I'm a huge Superboy fan. You know, pre-Crisis Superboy. You know, the adventures of Superman when he was a boy. And then I got to thinking, and of course I've been uh, talking about this quite a bit with my buddy uh, Mike Bailey. And he's been encouraging me that I should do a Superboy podcast. And at first when he mentioned that, I got kind of excited about the idea. I thought, yeah, that could be a lot of fun. But I I don't know. I I don't mean to waffle. It's just one of these things. I'm not sure if I want to do both a Superman and Superboy podcast. But at the same rate, I don't know I want to tie up a whole lot of time in in a show called I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman and then talk a whole lot about Superboy. And then, uh, here lately, I have been reading The Adventures of Captain Marvel uh, as, uh, you know, the last couple of issues, the last two issues of the 70s Shazam series, you know, when they brought uh, Shazam back and it was a DC title, the last two issues of that, they suddenly kind of revamped the character. They they went in a whole different direction, tried to, uh, uh, what do I want to say, not darken him up or anything. Just They tried to take a more realistic approach. The, the art team changed, and uh, 
and then that book got canceled and Cap moved over to World's Finest and he got a new artist over there who was Don Newton. I've been reading that stuff and it's great and I'm really enjoying it. And I've been thinking about doing maybe a little a little mini series, I guess you would say, covering some of that stuff. So, you know, I'm all I always, always, always have ideas in my head for podcasts. There just simply aren't enough hours in a day or or you know, my lifetime to do all the things I'm always thinking of, but I've really been thinking about doing some of this stuff under the kind of Back to the Bins Presents banner and maybe doing some sort of like rotating weekly thing, kind of like what we do on on Two True Freaks, you know, where one week it's Star Wars, one week it's Star Trek, one week it's comics, and one week's kind of a wild card. Maybe thinking of mirroring that same format and doing something, you know, one week is Superman, one week is Superboy, one week is, you know, for the moment would be Cap, Although there's not that many stories of that, so that's something like, like I say, it would be kind of a mini-series, um, and then eventually maybe do something. I don't know. I, I, these are all these ideas I'm thinking of, and with this being very much a, uh, a stream-of-consciousness show, so to speak, I just thought I'd kind of ramble on about this and, and give you guys an idea of my thought process, and uh, you let me know. What, what do you guys want to hear? What do you guys want me to tackle? I'm really excited about the Superboy thing. I'm just not... I'm, I'm torn on whether I want to do that within this show or have it be its own separate entity. Plus, I'm not sure what how I want to cover the Superboy thing. Originally, I thought, gee, wouldn't it be fun to go all the way back you know, to the very beginnings of Superboy and cover it right on through. I don't know. I don't I don't know if I really if I'm completely committed to that idea or not. It sounds like an interesting idea, but the last thing I'd want to do is is burn out and then never make it to the era of of Superboy that is truly my era, which is the old uh Mike Grell stuff from the 70s. I'd love to talk about that stuff. Again, it's it's a matter of I want to I want to tackle it. Where do I start? You know, I need to find a nice, clean starting point. But I did go back recently, and I looked at some of those earliest um, Superboy stories. You know, he started in um, in more fun comics. That stuff's fun. I mean, it's it's light, it's wacky, it's different. Sometimes the art's very cool. Sometimes the art's very strange. Sometimes the stories, almost always, the stories are very odd. At least by you know twentieth, you know twenty first century sensibilities. But I had fun. Whether I could do that, you know, week in, week out, or month in, month out, and maintain a, an enthusiasm for it, I just don't know. Plus, I do know that a lot of the stuff later on, you know, pre the Mike Grell stuff that I'm so fond of, a lot of that stuff, while it's fun in small doses... I could see myself getting burned out really quick. A lot of that uh, stuff, say, when, uh, you know, the adventure comic stuff, when Superboy was teaming up with the Legion of Superheroes, a lot of that stuff is just... I really enjoy... I, I guess small doses is really the way to put it. Plus, that stuff is being covered uh, by others. And uh, ah, while I'm thinking about it, speaking of the others that are covering it, after a very, very, very long hiatus, there is a new episode available of the Super Future Friends. Yes, they are back after, I think it's been like a year, but they just had a brand new episode out. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Super Future Friends Podcast. Check them out. I guarantee you will laugh your ass off. It is a hilarious podcast. 
in which uh, two of uh, our good friends, they take a look at old Legion of Superhero stories so that you don't have to. And uh, while it's done very irreverently, they do truly love the Legion of Superheroes. But, you know, they don't mind poking some serious fun at some of the Silver Age wackiness, you know, that is uh, <laughs> that they're chock full of. So check that out. You'll get a kick out of it. So anyway, I have rambled on long enough about this, but please, I, I really do want feedback uh, about these podcasting ideas. Let me know what you guys want to hear, um, and we'll, uh, I'll have further updates and announcements and things like that when I decide just what the hell am I doing. So anyway, we are going to look at the third and final chapter of Superman's Return to Krypton. Now, again... I am looking at Superman number 232, which is a reprinting of this story. This was a story originally presented in Superman number 141 from November 1960. So uh, either source will give that to you. And at the end of this, I'm going to tell you some other places where you can find this reprinted. Um, But this is going to wrap us up just as a quick and dirty recap, uh, because I know it's been a couple of weeks uh, since the last episode. Superman flew out into space to uh, investigate this weird phenomenon, accidentally plummeted himself back in time and space, uh, evidently, to pre-destruction Krypton days, got stranded on Krypton, and found himself kind of screwed. And through a weird, wacky series of events, he became sort of an extra in this big movie production on Krypton, he ended up becoming uh, the assistant to his own future father, Jor-El. He kind of uh, ingratiated himself to uh, Jor-El and his wife, Lara, became good friends of theirs. And through being good friends of theirs, uh, was introduced and kind of hooked up with Lila Laral, who is basically, she's the hot actress on the planet Krypton. And she and Kal-El, you know, our boy Superman, They have this uh, wild romance going on. As we saw in the last chapter, Jor-El finally sprung it on everybody that he knows that the planet's going to go kablooey, and they had come up with this rocket idea. And so he and Kal-El were working feverishly on this space arc where they were going to try to save as many people as they could. And, of course... Superman, for whatever reason, I you know I don't like to think of Superman as a forgetful guy. I like to think of Superman as better than me on so many levels. Of course, he's stronger, faster. He's got you know all these heat, you know the, all these eye powers and stuff like that. But also, I like to think of him better than me on you know moral things and moral. He's more intelligent things like that. But also, I like to you know one of my great weaknesses. I have a horrible, horrible memory. I'd like to think that Superman has a great memory. You know, he's supposed to have, like, super total recall or something like that. But evidently, it didn't work very well in this story because he totally forgot that Brainiac was going to come along and scoop the the, uh, city of Kandor right off the face of the planet. And, of course, that's what happens, taking their space arc with him. So that's where we were left in the end of the last chapter with Superman realizing that, uh, we got no way to get off the planet now. So as we pick up in this third and final chapter, and again, each one of these chapters, I love it. They have their own um, little introduction page. It's not quite a full splash, but it might as well be like the title splash page. And uh, just a great little introduction. And uh, I really like this. We have uh, 
Jor-El, Lila Laral, Superman, and uh, Lara, and they're all standing around. They're raising their glasses in a toast as behind them all these Kryptonians are uh, reveling and dancing. And underneath this protective dome, and these great-looking robots, these very, very clunky, old-style sci-fi robots, one of them has a drum for a head, so he's raising his arms over his head and he's beating the drum. The other one is bringing this uh, bassoon-looking thing up to... Well, he doesn't really have lips, but up to the front of his face, and so he's playing an instrument. So basically everybody's dancing and partying to this robot music. It's just hilarious. And Jor-El with glass lifted is saying, To this moment! And Lila is saying, To the four of us! And, and uh, Lara is saying, No matter what tomorrow brings. So this is the third and final chapter. And it says... Now that the space arc has vanished, and with it his hope for escaping from Krypton before it explodes, Superman reconciles himself to spending his remaining days on the doomed planet with his parents and Lila Loral, the Kryptonian girl he loves. Bravely, they plan to face the oncoming doom together. But they reckon without, and this is the title of the story, The Surprise of Fate. So one evening, several days later, under the soft radiance of Krypton's three moons, we see Lila and Superman, and uh, they're holding hands, and she's, uh, with her other hand, she's kind of holding his face, and they're just looking into each other's eyes. It's a really, really nice scene. I like this a lot. And she's saying to him, I can't think of a worse fate than, or, or rather, I can think of a worse fate than not escaping to Earth. Suppose we had never met. And he says, but Lila, it isn't fair. We, and she cuts him off in the next panel, basically by just locking lips with him. She pulls him to her and they're kissing. And she's thinking while they're kissing, a love like ours can't be measured in mere days or years. Even one enchanted moment is worth a dozen ordinary lifetimes. And he's thinking to himself, Lois loved me because I was Superman. But Lila loves me for myself. On this world, I'm just an ordinary mortal. I think that's important in this story. I think that's very telling that during this time, you know, back in this era of Superman, that was very much the truth. You know, Lois was always pulling these schemes where she was trying to get Superman to marry her, you know. And and I always had that feeling, even as a kid, that, yeah, I'm sure she, she dug Superman in her own way. I'm sure she loved him. But a lot of the times, even as a kid, I had that funny feeling that she wasn't really so much into him for him. She was into him because of who he was, the status that he held. And that always made her kind of shallow to me. Next panel here, we've got, uh, he's still thinking, they're still kissing. It's just a different angle here. And uh, he's still thinking away. And he says, Lila's right. If I'm doomed to die here on Krypton, I'd be a fool to waste our last days being miserable. We'll face the end bravely, together. And so later, at Jor-El's house, uh, Superman and Lila, they walk in, and Lila's just busting to tell them the great news. She says, we wanted you, our dearest friends, to be the first to know. But it's Superman that spills the beans. He says, we'll be married just as soon as Lila finishes her latest movie. And Lara is just beaming at them. She is so happy. And she even says, I'm so very glad for the both of you. While uh, Jor-El just kind of looks on in the background. 
Now, Jor-El, something kind of strange happened with his his uniform that, I don't know, did I just not notice this earlier? In the, no, I guess it, it was earlier in the story. I just, for some odd reason, didn't make note of it. But he's uh, he's got his, what I like to think of as his traditional Kryptonian costume, which is basically, it's very much like Superman's own outfit, but where Superman has an S on his chest, Jor-El has a sun. And... Where Superman's uniform is blue, uh, Jor-El's is uh, is a green, almost an olive green. Not not quite that dark, a little lighter than olive green, but it's it's a darker green color. And he's got a belt. He's got the red trunks. He's got red boots. He has a red collar on his shirt. He's got the headband. But then he has this almost like cummerbund on underneath the belt. And in some panels, it's yellow, but in other panels, it's white. And the way it's drawn, with the belt being over top of it, it very much looks like depictions you'll see in comic books a lot of times where a hero has been hurt, and for some goofy-ass reason, they bandage themselves over top of the clothes that they're wearing. You'd see this a lot with like Superman and Batman, where they'd get injured and wrap the bandages actually over top of the costume. I guess it was a visual cue to let you know that they had been injured. That's really what it looks like in this story. It looks like for the whole rest of the story, like Jor-El, like, like maybe he'd suffered like a, a, a stomach injury or something, <laughs> like wearing bandages on his stomach. I mean, I think it's really supposed to be some sort of like weird Kryptonian cummerbund, but it just looks odd to me. I don't remember seeing this in other stories. I'm going to have to really pay attention from here on out anytime I see Jor-El and see whether he's wearing this thing or not. So anyway, later after Lila and Superman leave, Lila, or excuse me, Jor- uh, Jor-El and Lara have a little conversation and she says to him, she's sweet, and she's speaking of Lila, she says, she's sweet and Kal-El is such a fine person. Jor-El, I had the strangest dream last night and he asked her what it was all about and she says that she dreamed that we had a son, Jor-El, he looked so longingly at me, and then in the dream, he changed into a grown man, into our friend, Kal-El. And this is one of those, you know, little comic book irony things where, they're, you know, they're basically, they're nudging us, the reader in the ribs, going, hey, hey, look at that, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah, that really is her son. Eh, yeah, by that point, this, this irony thing is starting to get a little old in this story, but I do like this. It is still kind of cute. And they have their little McFly moment here where uh, she says that, you know, if they, you know, years later, if they should happen to have a, a child and it should happen to be a son, then, well, she wants to name him Kal-El. Okay, whatever. Um, moving along in the story, the next day, Jor-El, at the missile base where he works, he comes in and uh, Kal-El is hard at work at the drawing board drawing up more pictures of rockets and now Jor-El has switched back to his very much... It very much looks like a, like an Errol Flynn Robin Hood shirt that he's wearing. It doesn't have this, the uh, sun emblem on it. It doesn't have a red collar. And uh, he says, kal we must learn how uh, close Krypton is to the end. According to my calculations, a good spot for seism- uh, seismographic readings would be Meteor Valley. And kal says, all right, well, let's go then. So they get into their their hover car thing, and again, this is very uh, it's very cool. It looks kind of like it looks like a combination of like say like a '50s style automobile, but with like a like a Star Wars Episode Two speed you know air speeder 
uh, you know, it's like a mashup between the two. It's really cool looking, though, and I like that it has the, the big, clear bubble windshield on it. So they go zipping around, and they zip past all kinds of uh, famous sites of Krypton, one of them being the uh, Gold Volcano, which is literally a volcano that erupts gold. And uh, this really takes Superman by surprise. By the way, I love that Superman's sitting in the front seat next to Jor-El, who's driving. Jor-El actually has a steering wheel, which I still find absolutely hysterical. I don't know why. It just cracks me up that these flying airspeeders have a steering wheel. And Superman just has his arm, like, casually cocked on the seat. It looks, it's just, it's so funny to see Superman sitting there in this car that casual with his arm cocked up like that. And it, it just made me think of uh, that great Justice League, I think it's a Justice League Unlimited episode, where Superman winds up in the far, far future, and only he and Savage, uh, Vandal Savage are left alive on Earth. And Superman gets into a car and just, like, casually drives off in this one scene. And he's got his arm cocked up the same exact way as in this panel. It's very cool. And he says, great, Scott, it's erupting gold. And Jarl says, uh, unfortunate, isn't it? That gold is so common on Krypton, it's worthless. It's like, why even mention that? I mean, that's, again, that's one of those little irony to the reader things. But if it's worthless, why mention it? That would be like me going... Gosh, it's a shame that dirt is so common here on Earth, you know, that it's worthless. It's just, it's an odd thing to comment on. Oh, they also passed the Fire Falls, which I always thought was kind of a neat idea. It's basically Niagara Falls, but instead of water, it's uh, it's fire um, that, I guess, comes up from somewhere deep within the planet or something. Anyway... They go to Meteor Valley, and there's a very long scene here that really honestly just feels like kind of filler to me, but it's interesting. It's another like little male bonding moment between Jor-El and his son, even though in this story, um, I'm sure I made this uh, known in, in the prior two episodes, but I just want to reiterate, Jor-El and Lara do not know that Superman is their son come back from the future. He has made a point of not telling them that, so they don't know. Anyway, they're, uh, Superman and his father hanging out in this valley, and Jor-El starts to take some readings with his very, very huge, clunky-looking uh, scientific equipment, when all of a sudden there's another ground quake and all these giant boulders start to roll down at them. Well, Superman does not have his superpowers. You know, he originally comes from super, uh, from yeah, from Superman, from Krypton, so now that he's back there, he's just an ordinary dude. He does not have his superpowers. So the only thing he can think of is he grabs his father and they duck down into this crevice and let all the boulders and stuff fly over top of them, barely missing them. But then the ledge that they're standing on starts to crumble, so they climb back out. And they get out just in time for the crevice to slam shut behind them, almost crushing them to death. If they'd have stayed just a second longer, they'd have been dead. And uh, Jor-El even makes note that uh, Superman's costume, what they call a space costume in this story, because they think, again, you know, that he's uh, an extra working on this science fiction movie, this space movie, that his space costume is ripped. And Superman reminds us for the umpteenth time that, you know, now that he's back on Krypton, he doesn't have his superpowers, so he's not super powerful, and neither are his clothes. So they decide to fly back toward the missile base, and... Jor-El says, the violence of that quake was nothing compared to what is yet to come. The quake w- quakes will get worse until the uh, one day the entire planet will explode. And Superman, he's just thinking quietly to himself, Lila and I will courageously face the end 
together. And they get back to the base, and there's this girl that I don't think we've seen previously in the story that at first I mistook her for Lara, and I thought, wow, this is different. But it's not her. It's just another uh, dark-haired woman, but she's really pretty, and she's standing next to Superman. She has glasses on, which I think she may be the first Kryptonian with glasses I've seen in this story. But anyway, she's wearing glasses in this really weird-looking... It's like a pink and white... If she's supposed to be some sort of secretary or something, she's way overdressed for this job. Anyway, she gives uh, Kal-El a piece of paper and says, This message arrived for you while you were gone, Kal-El. And he's reading it to himself, and it says, It's from that emotion movie film production company. So he reads the message, and then he goes and he gets on the uh, space phone or Krypton phone, whatever the hell they call it on their planet. And it's literally this giant giant screen where he can talk to her via, they call it a telecall. He telecalls Lila. This screen is huge. I mean, the maintenance on this has got to be a freaking nightmare if these are like public phones or something. Anyway, he calls her up and he says, yes, I've been notified to report back for the sh uh, shooting of the movie's final scenes too. And she says, after the filming uh, is completed in a day or so, we'll get married immediately. And she looks so happy. She's got a big grin on her face. And he's got a little smile, too. They're, they're really happy. They're really in love. So that night at the Sky Palace, a nightclub which floats above Krypton by anti-gravity forces. So it's kind of like Cloud City from Star Wars. That's a neat idea. I like that. And this is basically the scene that we came in on in the little like uh, pseudo-splash-page opener where everybody is uh, hanging out at the Sky Palace, and they're all, you know, dancing and uh, reveling and stuff, and we've got these awesome-looking robots playing their robot instruments. I imagine they're playing something that sounds a whole lot like the Cantina Band, you know, music in Star Wars. <laughs> and, uh, they're, and once again, they're dancing and holding hands and just gazing into each other's eyes, and he's, as Superman says... The happiness we'll share as husband and wife, Lila, will be more than compensate. Uh, will more than compensate for whatever happens later. And Jorel and Lara are looking on, and they're you know they're just happy for their friends. And uh, Lara says they're so in love, Jorel. It's a shame that. And sh he cuts her off. He says, "Don't say it, Lara. Worlds may crumble, civilizations perish, but love, like theirs and ours, will always exist." in the universe. I like that sentiment. I like it a lot. Sure, it's sappy, you know, and you, you, know, you can laugh if you want, but I like this sort of thing. I'm a big romantic sucker, you know? So anytime Superman, you know, he, he's happy and he's in love, you know, there's, in a lot of ways, I'd really rather get a story like this than, than Superman punching somebody in the head again. I've read a million of those. I like a good old-fashioned Superman's finally happy story. Unfortunately, we know what's coming. So, uh, on through space rotates Krypton toward its inexorable rendezvous with a cruel destiny. But at the Sky Palace, two pairs of lovers propose a toast, gallantly unafraid. And this is the exact scene that we got uh, in that uh, pseudo-title opener where they're all raising their glasses and toasting. Although, in this take... Superman doesn't look quite as happy as he did uh, in that you know, in that opener. He's uh, I'm not sure what the look would be described. Kind of kind of brooding, maybe. Kind of I don't know. He's just got kind of an odd look. Everybody else is smiling and happy, and he just has this look on his face of uh, yeah. He's kind of brooding, I would say. 
So anyway, the next day, on location during the filming of The Space Explorers, which is the name of the science fiction movie that Superman's working on as an extra, he's there with the director. Now, I think I said in the very first episode that this guy looked like a classic French director. I don't know what I was thinking. He looks like your classic Italian movie director. He's got a... They don't really show him much from the waist down, but from the waist up, he's got a, a white shirt on with just a, a traditional, like, Earth-style collar. His sleeves are all rolled up like, you know, he's he's ready to get to work. He's got a big old red ascot around his neck looking like uh, Fred from Scooby-Doo. But he's got a black beret. He's got his dark sunglasses. He's got his little goatee. He looks very much like the stereotypical Italian movie director. <laughs> it's just hysterical. Plus, the uh, the movie cameras in this are these huge, huge, bulky, you know, old-timey-looking uh, film uh, cameras like you would see them filming, like, the nightly news or something back in the 50s. <laughs> it's just hysterical. And the director, he's giving uh, direction to Superman. He says, Our quote-unquote other-world scenery may be phony, but this space creature we borrowed from the Kryptonian Zoo is genuine. Whatever you do, don't anger it. And he's pointing to the thing that, uh, again, it looks it looks like a cross between, like, say, a, a dog and, like, a large cat. But it, then it has a big old pointy horn on its head. Like, this giant, like, daggery-looking horn. It's not like a unicorn. It's not curlicue or anything. It's just this big, giant, pointy horn on the top of its head. And uh, it continues in the next panel. He says, When infuriated, the creature breathes super powerful flames. Should it be angered and its uh, flame nullifying muzzle come off, we'd all be finished. And Superman and Lila and some other people are just kind of staring at the at the creature as this creature standing there wearing this weird looking muzzle. And Superman walks over to Lila and he says, They're going to start shooting the scene I'm in. Uh, but first, may a lowly extra kiss Krypton's loveliest, most glamorous star. And she smiles at him and says, If you don't, we'll have our first argument. But as their lips meet, Lila abruptly feels uneasy, and she thinks to herself, Suddenly, I'm afraid. I don't know why. I feel as though something awful were going to happen. And Superman's thinking to himself, She's cold and trembling. Lila's clinging to me as if she's afraid to let go. And forcing himself to ignore her chilling premonition, or forcing herself, I'm sorry, forcing herself to ignore her chilling premonition. I was going to say, how did Superman, that seems kind of rude on Superman's part, and how did he know, but okay, I misread it. Forcing herself to ignore her chilling premonition, Lila apprehensively watches Superman enter the quote-unquote spaceship alone on cue. Then a fateful accident occurs, and we see the... Uh, flame creature suddenly going nuts as this stupid-ass cameraman accidentally overturns the camera and it knocks the, the space creature in the head. And the director's screaming at the guy. He says, Fool! I warned you that the creature, when angered, breathes super-powerful flames. And so the creature runs into the mock-up spaceship. He runs in and he runs past Superman. Superman ducks out of the way and thinks to himself, It missed me. Uh-oh! Now it's plunging into the fake rocket chamber. Now, emphasis here on fake rocket chamber. But you may see where this is heading. So the creature, it crashes against the rocket tubes, and its muzzle falls off, its flame-nullifying muzzle. 
and the super powerful flames pour powerfully out of the creature's mouth and into the tubes. So, of course, what happens? Well, we get pretty much a traditional rocket launch, and um, the scene shifts to outside where we see the, these just wicked looking flames coming out of the bottom of the rocket, and uh, it begins to propel the rocket upward and Lila she goes crazy at this point and she's screaming and she says Kal-El's in there with that beast help him please help him and the director and some others have to physically restrain her they grab a hold of her as we see the rocket actually lifting off into space in the background and someone off panel says don't let her get near the flames they'll consume her and she's wailing and screaming, and she says, I don't want to live without Kal-El. Let me go. Let me go. But the ship hurtles high into the heavens, and Lila's intuition senses the stark and unbearable truth. And as the director it's just kind of is staring awkwardly at her in the background, she's crying, and she's, she looks completely stunned. She just It's a great piece of art here by, uh, by Wayne Boring, where he draws her... I mean, she really does look in shock. And she's thinking to herself, I'll never see Kal-El again. Never again, ever. And if you go to Wikipedia, you will see uh, the next panel, which is a completely wordless panel. Now, a completely wordless panel back in these days, you know, a wordless panel that actually showed a character, to my knowledge and my recollection, that was a pretty rare thing it was just one of these instances you know one of these like unspoken rules of comics back in these days that if someone was on a page they had to say something but in this it's a great great piece of art by wayne boring where it's just lila and she has her hand up to her face and tears are streaming down her eyes and uh, and there's just nothing being said there's no thought balloon or anything she's just kind of looking off as behind her we see like stars and planets and moons and things and uh and that's that's it and in the next panel inside the spaceship kal-el is at the viewport and he's looking out and again he's seeing krypton and space and moons and things like that and he's at the window and he's screaming frantically lila and he's thinking to himself i've lost her just when I'd resigned myself to perishing on Krypton with Lila and my parents, this had to happen due to a strange twist of fate. And he just looks agonized. The next panel is actually it's the beginning of a whole new page. The next panel simply says, Later. This is one of those parts where I'm going to try really, really hard not to nitpick too much because if you nitpick this scene too much the whole thing falls apart so it just simply says later far out in space as the spaceship is attracted by the gravity of a yellow sun doesn't say it's our yellow sun doesn't say it's earth just says it's a yellow sun still that's got to be quite a distance from krypton and its system and its red sun to even if this is the very next system, that's, that's got to be a long way. And I mean, did this spaceship go through some sort of wormhole, some sort of space warpy thing? You know, when Superman originally came to Earth, you know, Cal, uh, Jor-El had sent the rocket through some sort of 
now I'm trying to remember my my Superman origin story. See, that might not have been the case during back during this time, but I know that over the years there had been different versions where the rocket was equipped with like a hyperdrive type of thing, and then there were other things where I think Jor-El sent it through some sort of almost like a time tunnel wormhole type of deal. Anyway, I'm just saying this rocket launched by the breath of this weird freaky dog thing. So, yeah, I'm just going to leave it right there. <laughs> so anyway, great shot, again, by Wayne Boring of uh, the rocket out in space and Superman just punching a hole right through it as he flies out. And he says, the yellow sun's super energy rays have returned my superpowers. I like that. The next panel is gorgeous. It's, uh, it's just a shot of Superman... And he's flying in what I'm starting to see is sort of a Wayne Boring uh, style, I guess, where Superman, he's not really flying with his hands out ahead of him, like like up parallel to his legs or anything. He's more flying, again, in that, in that style I would call like skimming, where he almost looks like, all right, like, like you're standing up and you start to fall over. So what do you do? You put your hands out to catch yourself. You know, like push-ups. He's flying like push-up style. But it looks really great. And there's something about the, the colors and the, and the artwork in this particular panel that reminds me an awful lot of a picture that uh, John Byrne drew for, I want to say it was Superman number 400. There was a, a pinup in there that said something like happy birthday, big guy or something. It was signed by Byrne. It looks a lot like this. If you get a chance to, to you know, look at the two side by side, uh, tell me that they don't look a lot alike. Anyway, the caption reads, for one moment, the man of steel hesitates. And he thinks to himself, if I return to Krypton, I will lose my superpowers again. Fate can't be changed. It's impossible for me to save Lila or my parents. Earth needs me. I both really, really like this part and really, really don't like this part. Now, the reason I like this part is I think this is Superman trying to... He's trying to come to, to you know, to terms with what has just happened. He realizes that maybe this is him coming back to his original realization that that history cannot be changed, that these events have conspired to set time back the way it was supposed to be and everything. So I kind of like it in that angle, that he's decided, you know, my duty calls, I have to go do what I have to go do. On the flip side, he's... Granted, he's a great distance away from Krypton, but he's still back in time. It's, it's not as if everything's happened. It's not as if Lila's dead. He now has his superpowers. And, you know, this whole story started with him plunging back in time, and then he flew too close to Krypton. He was able to get down to the surface of the planet before his powers were completely gone. If he really wanted to go back, he could. That's my argument. And this is a tough part of the story for me to reconcile because clearly he loved this woman. He loved her very much. So, granted, you know, they're not going to take Superman off the table. You know, there's no way in the world at the end of this story that he's going to resign himself to his original fate, use his restored superpowers to get back to Krypton, 
you know, hopefully get down to the surface of the planet in time before his superpowers conk out and, you know, die peaceably within a couple of, you know, presumably a couple of years, you know, with Lila. As much as that's a very romantic notion, and in an odd sort of way, that's kind of how I wish the story did end. That's not going to happen. So, it doesn't. And so Superman plunges back through the time barrier. And again, this is really neat. He's uh, once again flying in that, uh, you know, doing push-up style. And there's all these uh, weird swirls, uh, circular swirls all around it. Very much like Superman. It looks like Superman is doing high-speed hula hoops is really what it looks like. And as he materializes in our present-day time era, he barely manages to avoid... And he thinks to himself, a horde of deadly green kryptonite meteors. Now, this is a piece of irony in this story that I actually really do like. Because it upsets Superman. And the next next word is just, it says choke. It's, it's Superman getting, you know, overcome with emotions. His, his throat's tightening up. And he says, nothing remains of the once mighty planet Krypton, but broken kryptonite fragments. Jor-El, Lara, Lila, they're gone perished i like that panel i like that panel a lot and we can't see it because superman is very small in this panel but i like to imagine he's 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 probably crying he's probably teary right i mean this is it's a sad moment for superman i feel bad for him so he flies back toward earth and he's thinking to himself as he approaches the planet i'll always treasure my return to krypton seeing my parents again and meeting and loving lila beautifully radiant courageous lila and as Superman reaches Metropolis, he's also thinking to himself as he's skimming over the city. But already, it all seems like a strange, incredible dream. Soon, I'll see Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and my other friends again. It's good to have a second home. And that's the end of the story. And I can't help but wonder if the sentence here at all seems like a strange incredible dream if that was kind of the writer's way of saying that you know that this will quickly fade from superman's memory you know again you know this wasn't really an era anyway where stories would continue or you know we wouldn't we weren't going to see superman brood about lila for the next hundred issues or anything like that you know and while sure i realize that at the same time you know, I, I guess now is as good a time as any to admit, or you know, confess, come clean, whatever. I, I've never been the biggest Lois Lane fan in the world. I mean, I don't dislike her or anything, and there's certainly certain versions and uh, incarnations and, and stories with her that I like a whole lot. One of the things about this story I think that really speaks to me is the whole lost love, the one that got away element. So in a certain way, you know, I wouldn't have wanted Superman to, to moon for the rest of his life or whatever. But at the same rate, I can very much see this being uh, something that would stick with Superman, something that would, would bother him a lot, maybe privately, uh, maybe even for the rest of his days, you know, the, the rest of the life of this version of Superman, although... You know, debatably, we do get the end of this character's life, whether you want to consider, you know, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow to be the end, you know, the in-canon 
in continuity end of this particular Superman or not. I th- personally, I've always debated that. I don't know if there is any real debate about that or not amongst you know with other fans, but I've always kind of debated whether that was really this character or you know as it was touted an imaginary story. So who knows? But I like the idea. You know, and it, and it would be a th- you know it'd be a, a sort of a, a tightrope act to perform, but I like the idea that this would stick with Superman, that this would be something that would bother him. Um, but again, at the same rate, I wouldn't want to see him moon about it for you know a hundred issues or for years to come or something like that. But at the same rate, to be just brushed off uh, in six panels at the end of the story kind of does her a, a disservice you know their their love a disservice as well in a, in a funny kind of way so this is very much an ending that i read between the lines of i i think this bothers him or at least you know i fantasize i guess would be the best way to put it i fantasize that it bothers him a lot more than seemingly it, it really does i like to think that it wasn't just a, oh, well, you know, there's nothing I can do. I guess I'll just go home. I, I like to imagine that everything that happens in the end of this story, there are tears in his eyes and, and you know, tears on his cheek. That this tore Superman up inside to have to come to this realization that there was nothing he could do. That he could not go back and save her. Um and, you know, again, I have to reiterate, you know, there's no way in the world that DC was going to say, well, this is the end of Superman. He's going to go back and die on Krypton, you know. But I do wish somehow there could have been a little more finesse, I guess, would be the best way to put it. And I'm not, I believe me, I do not want to diss uh, the writer of the story in any way whatsoever. But I wish that, that there had been a little more... Um, plausible i guess explanation or just a little bit more given to why superman doesn't just go right back to krypton you know why he doesn't just oh oh, hey my superpowers are back this is a a a way that i can get back to krypton and be with lila right up to the end I, i wish that there was a little more given with that really all he says is hey my powers are back well fate can't be changed i'm just gonna go home Hmm. I you know I'm not sure how I feel with that. So my own uh, my own fantasizing has to kind of kind of fill in the edges with that sort of thing. But I really like this, and for me, for my own personal Superman continuity, she's his great love. She's the one that that really meant the most to him, and. and she's the one that got away. I think that's the element that that most works in why I hold this story in such high regard. And as we'll see with uh, with other appearances uh, that we get with this character, with Lila, that uh, I think I'm kind of borne out a little bit on that. But still, at the same rate... Um, I can't help but wonder if, if if this is some sort of a of a clue in the story that well that's that you know that that you know just just the way it's written that uh, it, it seems like it was some strange incredible dream it, I guess it, it it nicely encapsulates the story all in one little piece and maybe that was intended to be as far as it would ever go in a lot of ways it was however you know Lila. 
kind of, sort of did come back um, in a story that more than likely I'll be taking a look at at some point later on in um, in August of 66 in Superman number 189 she kind of, sort of makes another appearance uh, and that's all I really want to say I don't want to spoil it one way or the other is it really her, is it not really her I don't want to say quite yet um, and then of course, you know, anybody who is familiar with, uh, you know, Alan Moore's, uh, turns on Superman, you know, he did that incredible Superman annual number 11, uh, that great story, you know, for the man who has everything. Well, in that story, which again, I'd like to tr- uh, tackle that at some point. And I know that, uh, Chris Honeywell and Michael Bailey and I have talked about doing that more than likely we'll do that on uh, comics monthly Monday. Uh, one of our episodes over on uh, Two True Freaks. I'd like us to tackle that together at some point because we all really have a fondness uh, for that story. But in that story, um, and again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who who isn't really aware of the story, although I can't imagine if you're listening to this, I'm sure you probably have at least a passing knowledge of the story. But in that, basically, Superman... um, comes to exist in in a fantasy world of, of his of his own creation, although he doesn't consciously realize that he's in a fantasy world or that he himself is creating it in that world. It's in Superman's mind. It's basically playing out a what if story. What if, what if Krypton never exploded? And in that story, instead of being put into a rocket and sent to earth as a, as an infant, none of that ever happened. Superman just grew up and and lived an ordinary life on Krypton and he ends up marrying and having children with Lila Laurel. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that Alan Moore remembered this character and pro- you know probably had. Uh, I would like to think that he had fond you know a fondness for the story. I mean, he obviously you know he knew the character. He dredged her up and, and used her, whether he had you know a, a passing familiarity with this story or not. But I'd like to think that he did. You know, I consider this to be you know one of the finest Superman stories. I really, really do have a fondness for this one. Um, unfortunately, and, and I find this to be the case a lot, so I have to really be careful reading stories like this, you know, going back to my childhood and, and re-examining old stories that I loved and really enjoyed when I was a kid, that I don't bring too much of my inherent geeky nitpickery you know, to these things, because if you do with something like this, you're going to ruin it. So I tried as much as possible to, to both point these things out for the sake of, you know, isn't that kind of funny type of thing, but also I, I tried to table it because I didn't want it to ruin the story, because there is a lot of weirdness in here. You know, the fact that, you know, Jor-El gets on TV and tells everybody the planet's going to, you know, blow up, and people get concerned, and people are flocking to the space arc. That goes totally counter to everything in the Superman origin story, where he goes to the council, and they all laugh him out of the room. And, you know, the, the thing with time and distance in this story, not making a whole hell of a lot of sense, that simply because Superman goes back through time, he suddenly finds him, you know, he goes back through time in Earth orbit, or presumably somewhere near Earth, and winds up back in time in Krypton. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But it's the sort of thing that you kind of you kind of have to be very forgiving of old stories like this, and just go more or less with the tone of the story, rather than some sort of literal scientific you know examination of it. 
It's just it's a, it's simply it's just a really good story. Plus, two things uh, I meant to comment on: what happened to the space dog, the fire breathing dog thing that propelled Superman into space is never mentioned again in this story. So I'm imagining that Superman just left it in that rocket. So now does it become like a space? You know, like a super space fire-breathing dog? Who knows? Knowing these old stories, that thing probably came up to haunt Superman later on. Probably came to Earth and ravaged things or something. Also, the original space creature thing that Superman was chasing in the very beginning of the story that caused this whole mess, never mentioned again. It's never resolved. I have no idea if we ever see it again. Kind of hope not, only because it's damn freaky looking. Um... But that's pretty much... I also find it <laughs> very ironic that, uh, you know... I, and I don't want to poke too much fun, but... There is that really touching scene where Superman sees the uh, the horde of green kryptonite meteors, is what he calls them. Horde of deadly green kryptonite meteors. And he thinks to himself, nothing remains of the m- once mighty broken... Uh, or, excuse me, the once mighty planet of Krypton, but broken kryptonite fragments. The very next story in this book which uh, I'm not going to go into too much but it's a story called Father's Day on Planet Krypton it's reprinted from Adventure Comics 313 back in 1963 and Superboy is thinking about um, these statues that he remembered seeing when he was a kid that his, his dad had taken him to this weird like crypt looking thing I, I guess it was like the the crypt, the uh, L family crypt, and there's all these statues in there of of Val L, Sul L, Tala L, all these different L's down through history. And Superboy gets to thinking a lot about this. He goes flying out in space. What does he find? He finds those statues. They're now converted to kryptonite, so they're all green and glowy, but they're completely intact in everything. And he ends up bringing them back to. And it's like. Oh my god. Eventually it would get to the, it would get to such a ridiculous state about the things that survived the destru- destruction of Krypton. Um there was one I read not long ago where it was literally an entire city that survived. Ah, here it is right here. It's actually in this same book. It's a little bit later in here. This is Let's see here. This is a story called the Wizard City from Adventure Comics number 216 in September uh, 1955. In this story, Superboy hooks up with, uh, with this scientist guy who we learn very late in the story is actually Jimmy Olsen's dad. Anyway, long story short there, there's this mysterious lost city out in the jungle that they come across and have all these weird adventures with and everything. This was a city that literally blew off of Krypton and the entire fragment came down and landed in this valley. Yeah, you heard me right. When Krypton exploded, this entire city (laughs) survived... All of that, and then plummeted to Earth and landed in a valley and survived that. That's one really well-made city right there. They need to find whoever the architects were behind that and, uh, yeah, hire them. 
it, it's crazy. It, the whole story is really, really wacky. But this is the sort of thing from this era, again, that, you know, if you want to enjoy the stories, you've you got to be very forgiving of that sort of thing. Anyway, I have been debating with myself for some time about what was going to be the next thing I wanted to cover after... Uh, after this story, because to me, it's like trying to top this or one-up this or even just keep the same momentum of what I feel is a truly great and classic Superman story. It's going to be quite the task. And I think what I'd like to try to do next time is uh, once again go with uh, a story that just... I won't say it's as good or, or as classic or anything like that, but it it very much, for me personally, has a, a lot of the same appeal just as far as it, it's something that I remember from when I was a kid that I've, I've always had fond memories of. and it's But it's kind of at the complete end of the spectrum because rather than being something that tugs at my heartstrings or touches me in some sort of way, it's really the other end where it's more of it's so... Weird. It's such an oddity. It, it's such a strange uh, tale that just doesn't. It doesn't seem to fit in any sort of continuity or whatever. But if I say anything more about it, I'm going to end up spoiling what it is, and I'd really like to save that as a surprise for next time. So more than likely, that will be the story we will be looking at next time. So I hope I've sufficiently teased you about what that might possibly be. Lastly, I wanted to uh, mention. I don't think I ever gave any credits on this story whatsoever simply because there are no credits in this book at all but according to uh, a site that i like to use which is uh, uh the comic book database which you can find at a uh, comicbookdb.com that's all one word comicbookdb.com uh you can look up all kinds of credits and things now sometimes their information here can be suspect so you know don't take this as gospel, but what they've got down here, they actually have Jerry Siegel, one of the creators of Superman, listed as the writer on this story. So I think that's very cool. Uh, so Jerry Siegel, writer, Wayne Boring, of course, was the penciler on this. And uh, according to this, the inker was Stan Kay. And lastly, I wanted to mention uh, some places where you can find this. Now, of course, you know, like I've said several times, I'm reading this from a reprint. I'm reading this from uh, Superman number 232. Uh, some other places you can find it. Showcase Presents Superman uh, Volume 2. The trade paperback Superman in the 60s, which came out back in uh, 1999. And then Superman, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, which, you know what? I didn't even know. There was a volume two for the uh, greatest Superman stories ever told. I'm going to have to track that down because I'm very curious what stories would be in there. Plus, I'm more than a little bit peeved that I guess this story was not in the greatest Superman stories ever told volume one. I could have swore that it was. I guess I need to dig that back out and look at it because if that if this story is not in there, I'm dying to look back at that and see what the hell stories are in there because I really do consider this one of the greatest Superman stories ever told. And uh, I hope I did it justice, and I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it and dug it enough to where uh, if you have not read it or you haven't read it in a long time, dig it out, give it a look. It really is a fantastic story. I, I really like the uh, the romance and interplay between 
Superman and Lila. I like the the interplay between Superman and his parents. I, I really like that. I enjoy that a lot. Um, and of course, I, I can't speak highly enough for the art in this. I've always, always, always liked Wayne Boring, but the older I get, the more uh, just in love with his art style I get. I've I've really, really come to be. Um, just a big fan of his art style. I really, really enjoy it, and uh, to the point where I'm going to actually go out of my way to track down more of uh, of Boring's Superman material because I really, really enjoy it. He is uh, he has risen a whole bunch of slots on my list of uh, of my favorite Superman artists to the point where he may very easily be in my top five now. I really enjoy his stuff. I realize it's not for everybody. I like. I know a lot of people don't care for uh, what I have always called barrel-chested Superman. He almost, you know, I used to call him beer gut Superman, but really, looking at this, that's not really fair because, yeah, sometimes he does look a little beefy or a little doughy, but he never really looks fat so much as he's just barrel chested and i think that was just a sign of the times back then is that guys that were that had this type of physique were you know they were they were your tough guys that's how you could tell they were the they were the strong you know they didn't have a lean and mean like bodybuilder body like like modern you know strong men would have back then they were more like um barrel chested i guess is really the best way to put it and that's pretty much how Superman is drawn throughout this whole thing. So he's not that lean, muscular Superman that we would get later with guys like, say, like Garcia Lopez or John Byrne or uh, Rich Buckler. This is uh, this is somewhere between, you know, Kurt Swan and somewhere between Kurt Swan and say like John Byrne or something like that. So, but I really I do enjoy it. I like it a lot. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling, so I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, and wrap it up for now. I'm pretty sure I've hit all my notes. I, again, I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you like the show. Please send some feedback. Let me know one way or the other. What do you like? What do you not like? What are you digging? What are you not digging? What can I do better? What kind of material would you like me to cover? I have already had su- suggestions from some uh, listeners as to f- uh, what you guys would like me to cover. So please continue to send those suggestions along. I'm very curious on the types of things that uh, you would like me to cover. And uh, more than likely, if, you know, if, as long as it's something that's not you know, difficult for me to get through or incredibly grown-worthy or something like that, I will uh, try to get to it. But as I say, I do have a list of my own, so I want to try to tackle that uh, first, or at least a lot of that first, before I start... Uh, taking requests as it were anyway i feel like i'm rambling so i'm going to wrap this thing up that's it for this week folks be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring me michael bailey chris honeywell hope mullinex luke jacanetti and several other sad and pathetic human beings who've nothing better to do with their time Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this very episode or any episode that's on our feed. You can interact with us and your fellow listeners. We have a great, fun, and friendly community over there, and we want you to be a part of it. So please join us. You can participate 
participate as much as you like or as little as you like. No pressure, but we would love to interact with you over at our forum. As always, you can reach this show and me directly at backtothebins at gmail.com. And please fill up that Gmail box, that email box. I want to be able to read some emails from you, the listeners, on the very next episode. So flood that inbox, folks. And, of course, I am on Facebook. Speaking of which, speaking of Facebook, if you like the show, please, whenever you're listening... Give me a shout-out on the social networking site of your choice. Whenever you're listening, please, 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 word of mouth is still the very best way to let others know about this show or whatever show you happen to be listening to at the moment. And I appreciate it. And I'm sure if you plug any podcast anytime, I'm sure they appreciate it because it helps draw in new listeners, and I am very appreciative of that. So thank you, folks. I appreciate the download, and be sure to join me again next time for I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. Take care of yourselves.